Welcome to the Ohio Ministry Network podcast. The following audio was recorded at the 2014 Synergy Conference held in Gahanna, Ohio at Pathway Church. For more information, please visit our website, ohioministry.net. Well, welcome to our session on maximizing missionary partnerships. We're glad that you came to our session, and as I look out there, I see so many people that we've worked with when we were missionaries. It's amazing. And uh, our focus today is going to be gain on how to gain strategies and ideas for establishing and enhancing relationships with missionaries. Uh, those of you that don't know us, Karen's my wife in the back there. Wave at him, hon. <laughs> uh, we are uh, out of Canton Bethel Temple, the Graber's Church, when uh, they were there. Uh, I think Pastor Graber married three of our kids, baptized them all, uh, married, us. married us. We were the second couple he married when he came to Canton, and uh, I served on the board there for 18 years. And I took a mission trip in 91 at the age of 50, I think it was. Got a call to missions at at the age of 47, and went on a trip to the Philippines and uh, changed my life forever. And with the help of the Gravers and some others in our district, in our network, uh, ended up in Central Europe as missionaries there for 13 years, helping you went to build. The to yeah. That's quite a yeah, big difference. And um, we'd been to other places in between that, but in 95 we went full-time the Central Europe building Bible schools and churches and teen challenge centers. Worked for uh, Greg Mundus. And then served there 13 years, and then uh, in 2008, we came off the field and took a church in Willard, First Assembly, and we were there five and a half years. So uh, Jim Palmer asked if I would be a presenter in this session because I've seen both sides of the, the fence, been on both sides of the fence, and... Uh, been involved in missions for like 22 years. We're still uh, have our missions account. Matter of fact, we took a team out of the north central area last October to Budapest. There's a couple here that uh, were on that team with us from the Ashland Church. And uh, so we're still involved in it. And we haven't hung our hat up yet. We're considered uh, semi-retired, I guess. But we're going to have three guests that are going to share with us this afternoon. Kelly Preston is a pastor at Eastside Community Church in Gahana. And uh, Pastor Dave Gross, Radiant Life Church in Dublin. And also uh, wrapping it up for us will be Mike Hattinger, who's missionary to Mexico, also a great friend as well. So let's begin with prayer, shall we? Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to share this afternoon. Thank you for those who are going to be uh, sharing with us today. Pray, Lord, that you'll just bless this time and uh, through this uh, time that we spend together, Lord, that it'll be productive, instructive, and, and uh, will help us, Lord, in our future endeavors as we try to maximize our partnerships with missionaries. We ask all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that really bothered me 
for years before I was a missionary, before I was a pastor, was the fact that there are so many churches in America and Ohio that do not do anything for missions. They only focus on either locally or their own four walls. And we know in Matthew 28 that we have the Great Commission, but in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is what I call the Great Instruction. Let me read that for you. Many of you probably already know it, what it's going to be about, but it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Great instructions. We know that this is a passage about missions. And we have the fundamental understanding that the mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel and to further the activities and the influence of the kingdom. All are a part of the church's responsibility. Today's church is also global, and sometimes the term glocal, G-L-O-C-A-L, glocal, is used to explain both the local focus of the church and the coupling of it with the global focus of the church. And we see that Christians will take the gospel to the ends of the earth to every unreached people group. In the last session that was just before lunch, uh, Craig Corbin shared with us those areas that are still unreached. 2.8 billion people have not been reached yet by the gospel. So with this in mind, let's take a closer personal look at this verse. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem which we could say is your city or family. You'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria, which is our state and country, and the ends of the earth. So when Jesus says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, I believe he means the literal Jerusalem, the actual regions of uh, Judea and Samaria, and the literal ends of the earth. We do not know if this verse is meant to fulfill any specific order but it is that we are to fulfill. So if this view of Acts 1.8 is correctly interpreted, that means that every believer that will ever live shall in fact bless their own local and regional areas and the ends of the earth as well. If Jesus in fact meant Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, then all Christians must impact each of those areas personally. No one's exempt from any of these personalized regions. You must, in my view, be witnesses in your Jerusalem, your Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So as a missionary and a pastor, I tried to keep my great commission diversified. I witnessed to my family. I tried to involve our church in the community. A couple of things we did, we had food bank, and we had the Hope Center, which was a place for the young people, we had a lot of drug problem in, in Willard. We tried to do outreaches in Ohio, like Missions Extreme, and across the, the America by supporting and working with Convoy of Hope, and our church supported the Indian Bible College. And as well overseas, by taking mission trips and supporting uh, 20 missionaries. So I believe that we as pastors need to expose our congregations to a blend of missions endeavors, not just in our location, but beyond the borders of the church property. 
I think one of the uh, things we see that people make a mistake with is when they read Acts 1.8, they believe they substitute the word then for the actually word and that we find in this verse. The Greek word K-A-I is fairly specific in its meaning. It means and, A-N-D. Therefore, we cannot view this verse as saying, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Instead, the verse reads, in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so the followers of Jesus are supposed to be witness to each of these areas. And what we find is that there are many churches that are not being involved in the ends of the earth part of uh, the instruction and, and the great commission. And so uh, what's that mean for us today? It means that we cannot put an order to our outreach. As we saw in our first session this morning, uh, we can't just focus on those who are unbelievers in our family, in our city, or our country, and forget about the nations. In fact, in Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus said, The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So we need to uh, be involved in missions. And we're going to talk about how we can be more involved with our missionaries as, as churches and we have a missionary with us who's going to share. He's going to share with us how we, how missionaries can be also more involved with the churches. So let's look at some examples of how we can establish, maintain, and improve our relationships with missionaries. And we're going to have time for questions and answers after each person uh, presents this morning. So, And then we'll have a wrap-up time as well. So I'm going to ask, first of all, uh, for Kelly, Pastor Kelly, to come and sh share with us some of her ideas and views uh, how we can better relate with missionaries. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor John. Well, I'm very excited to be able to talk about missions. I was a missionary for seven years. My husband and I served in the Middle East and in North Africa. And so now being on another in another role as a pastor, I have a great opportunity to uh, connect with missionaries and understand this from a different seat, a different dynamic. And I want to just say, I'm really, I appreciate you sharing that scripture in Acts. Um, this idea of missions, I feel like sometimes we, as the body of Christ, and let's just be specific to the assemblies of God right now, um, that we've kind of put them on this other side, um, this whole other department, if you will. But you see, we're all connected as one body of believers. And so doing missions is just part of our DNA. It's part of following Christ. It's not something that's an added program, if you will. And I think too often our perspective is this is a separate program. And it isn't. It's what we're called to do as followers of Christ. And we are in the last days. I don't know which last part of the last days we are in, but we're living in the church age. In the early church, they were in the last days, and we're even more in the last days than they were. And they, there's an urgency that Pastor John just read from the book of Acts about making sure the gospel gets to every part of the world. And I don't know if um, Craig Corbin shared how many people groups are unreached still. Is it 3,000? Did he share that today? 3,000? 
So we have a huge task ahead of us. The Assemblies of God has tons of missionaries that they're sending out all over the world in the U.S. and on our campuses, but there is still a huge need. And so as we're partnering together in the last days, we have to look at the whole body of Christ, and unity is the key here. We've got to get together. Romans 12 says that you belong to me, I belong to you, and we're in the body of Christ. So together we have to walk this out. So it's not, well, that's your department over there. You're really a missions-minded church. We all are mission. We better be missions-minded as followers of Christ. So I'm, I want to just share a couple of things about Eastside Community Church, some things that we started. We're a church plant, so we've had the privilege of starting from scratch with what we think is important in implementing it through the ministries and the vision of ECC. So um, what we have determined as a goal, uh, the, the board, they're actually our advisory council and the pastoral staff is that within the next five years that we want as a church to support every single Ohio missionary. So that's U.S. missions, Chi Alpha, overseas missionary. Okay. We are a little over a quarter of the way there with, we have 27 missionaries that we support on a monthly basis. We have under a hundred people that attend ECC right now. And we have, you know, missions money in your churches is designated. It doesn't go into the general fund. It shouldn't be going into the general fund. It is designated. So you can't touch it for anything else. And I love that because it just comes in for missions and it better be going out just for missions. So um, we have very generous missions-minded people in our church, but I'll tell you, I believe that God is blessing our church because we are awakened to this fact of the body of, of Christ that missions is part of who we all are. So whether or not I'm going, I have a part to play in sending and praying, and I need to do my part. All right, so we have uh, one missions conference or emphasis a year. We've we've been in existence for two years, so <laughs> don't have a long history to share with you on that. But this last year, we decided to do faith promise pledges at the end of that con- that missions conference, that emphasis, and there was no way that we could have every missionary that we wanted uh, to uh, highlight and ones that we ha- we don't support yet come during that month. So we asked six missionaries, I believe it was six missionaries, to put together a two-minute video, two minutes or less, and introduce themselves, give us the elevator speech. Do you know what I mean? Tell us who you are, where you're going, and why you're going. Can you say that in two minutes? Yes, we can all do that. We can boil it down and give the bottom line. And we did that as an opportunity to have more missionaries highlighted, first of all, because there was no way we could have them all come. And then second of all, so that we could actually connect in a visual and and an audio way so that people could hear them, see them, and in a video, we're very media-driven. And so... That was a way that people could connect because a couple of them made really cute videos too with their kids and, you know, they just made it really fun. And so it was nice to be able to have that, um, that connection with them. And it wasn't that difficult to do as far as having a little video clip of each one. Um, 
Another thing is that every month we have a, a missions emphasis where it's specific. Now, almost every sermon that I preach has a missions emphasis because I want us to always have that practical challenge in hand. Who is in your life right now and who needs Christ? And the whole reason for our existence is to make him known. So what are we going to do about that? So that's that's something that people regularly hear. But once a month, we actually have a missionary come and share for 10 minutes and they have, they can share slides and, and they share in the adult service for 10 minutes. Then they go to the kids service. And I think this is very important for our kids to be exposed to missionaries. Some, some of the missionaries do a little project with them. Some of them bring in a special type of food. Some of them dress up in their like native wear so that the kids can make a connection. They'll teach them a phrase or a new word and they love it. Our kids remember it. Our kids come out of kids service with whatever the missionary brought and whatever story they had. And they are thrilled. They're so excited. And so that's a connection that they're able to make. And I have not found a missionary that is not willing to do that. Even if they're not quote unquote kid people and um, they're willing to share. And I, I really appreciate that. Uh, when my husband and I were itinerating, something we appreciated was when a pastor would tell us, cause we would call and we would call and you know, it was wonderful to book a service or book a 10 minute window. But so many times we did not know the culture or the climate of those churches. And so it was helpful for us when a pastor would say, you know what? We have a lot of new believers in our congregation. They don't even know what missionaries are. Okay. They think they're all going to be in long skirts and buns. And so can you tell us how you knew you were supposed to be a missionary in a really practical way? Okay. That was very helpful. And then we had other churches that, you know, it just depended on the pastor, but we loved when the church either the pastor or the missionary rep would communicate to us exactly what they wanted. And so that's something that we try to do ourselves in that 10 minute window. We ask missionaries, please tell us who you are, not just your name and where you're from or what church you just pastored or this or that something real. I'm 35 years old. I love Jesus. I, I gave my heart to Christ when I was 21 at Chi Alpha and I have to serve him. This doesn't make sense at 35 for me to go to Cambodia, but I'm going because Jesus said we're supposed to go. I mean, boil it down. Simple, 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 because it grabs people and they can connect to who you are as a person. That's what we've been telling missionaries and people are connecting to that. And I have found missionaries to be very thankful for the most part to hear us actually give them some instruction so that they know because we have new believers at our church and they don't know how the AG works. They don't even know that we're assemblies of God. Um, I mean, it's not something we hide, of course, but it's not something they're concerned about when they walk in our doors. They just don't care. And so they don't know the reputation of, of how, how wonderful our missions process is. Another thing I want to highlight is the process that it takes for missionaries. And I'm, I'm jumping around, so uh, I hope you're following me. The process that it takes for a missionary to go through, and I know Mike can shed a lot more light on this than I can, but it's very rigorous. And Greg and I 
there was no way that we could go and not know that we were called to go, that we were supposed to go. I mean, there's so many opportunities for you to back out. <laughs> I mean, they're like, are you sure now? Okay, you ready? You're going to be screened by another committee. And someone even said they were going to go through our underwear drawer. I'm not kidding. They didn't do that. But I think they just did that to freak me out. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, they're going to make sure I'm all organized everywhere, you know. Um, but it's rigorous, screening, testing, counseling, um, just meeting after meeting. So know that... If the Assemblies of God has affirmed these missionaries, then as churches, as leaders in our churches, we absolutely need to get behind these missionaries. We may not connect with their personalities. So what? It is our job to get behind them and support them and say, how can we help you? How can we pray for you? What do you need financially? I know we had pastors who said, please don't tell us that you just need monthly support. What can we give specifically to? And that was really helpful. And we're like, okay, well, let's look at our budget. Well, we, we have to go to language school. So here's how much that is. We need to be able to purchase a sound system for the kids' church in Morocco. So here's how much that is. So we would find things in our budget because we're like, we need to raise this money. You know, we didn't always have a specific project, but we always could find something that churches could give to. And we found that they gave more when they had something specific to target that way. Um, faith promises. Uh, I, I don't know how familiar you are, but they're free from the, I think they're free. Yeah. Are they free? Okay. I'm just making sure I don't order them. Okay. Um, I have a wonderful person who is, uh, my parents are at our church plant and, uh, they have been helping get missions going. My parents are lay people, lay, uh, lay leaders, and, uh, they have served in, on many mission trips and they've caught the vision for missions. And so any missionary that comes to ECC, they call Marsha Rolls, that's my mom, and she schedules them. And that is such a huge relief to me because I don't have time to field all those calls. And I don't want to field all those calls. I want somebody else to get involved and, and invest and do that as well. So um, she orders our missions card. She's in touch with AGWM. That's wonderful. It's a relief. If you're at a church where the pastor feels taxed, volunteer to do this. Volunteer to take that off their hands. It's just a phone call. It's not that difficult. And then someone can invest themselves in this process. But the faith promises are important at East Side anyway, because people actually see we are making a commitment to missions. We're not just giving every time a missionary comes. So, um, all right. We have a missions team, which is small at this point. But they're the ones who determine when the mission's emphasis will be each year. They're the ones who determine who's going to come. They're the ones who determine who, who is going to get support in what order because we have missionaries call all the time and we know every single one of them needs monthly support. So we have, I hate to say a waiting list, but we do have a waiting list and that's very challenging. If there's someone in an emergency situation, we have reserve funds ready because we know as a missionary, <laughs> we remember sweating, you know, and waiting for that, uh, th those monthly pledges to come in and our backs were against the wall and AGWM said, you need to have that money raised. And so we were thankful for the churches that said, you know what, do it. We're going to do it. We'll send it in right now because they had some reserve funds. So, um, Okay. One thing I just wanted to pass around really quick before I take questions and answers. We made a very simple prayer passport 
book and we passed it out at our last missions conference in the fall listing every missionary that we currently support some of them we didn't have pictures they're in they're in uh, countries that we couldn't even put on there so but we wanted them to have prayer something that is very important for us as churches is yes missionaries need our financial support they need us to sacrifice because that's what we do for the body of Christ. If you go back in Acts and you read in the, at the end of chapter 2, it talks about what the body of believers was like at that time. They shared what they had. They shared what they had. And we have a lot. And we can share what we have. This fall, at, before we took up faith promises, my husband and I were already giving sacrificially for faith promises every week. And we knew we needed to make a new commitment. And I heard God tell me a number, and my husband heard God tell him a number, and we had not been able to communicate before the missions conference. We have three children. Anyway, it's a long story. We were busy. So I texted him, and I said, hey, what do you think? What are you thinking? You know, what, what, what about our commitment? And he said, double it. And that's exactly what God said to me. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, uh, that for us was absolutely impossible. The amount we were already giving was impossible. We never missed a dime that whole year. When God said double it, we have not missed it. We haven't been going in debt to pay for that weekly commitment. God has taken care of us. And we have asked people at Eastside to give testimonies to the congregation. Good old-fashioned, how has God been providing? Because that helps other people. Um, all right, let me just say one last thing here. The emphasis on missions with a church of under 100 people at this point, people have been able to catch the vision. We had an average attendance of 2013 of 65, which I'm like, really? <laughs> but that's okay. But those 65 regular attenders gave over $32,000 to missions. Okay? Uh God is a God of the impossible. So please, if you're at a smaller church, this is not, we, I am not pastoring a mega church right now. Okay. This is not, I'm not speaking from that platform at all. I'm speaking from God provides, but it's got to start with the leaders. And so if it's birthed in your heart, go for it. You have a question? Um, yes, if we, if we have them, yes. And people is another resource. Um, we have a group going on their, our first mission trip ever to Costa Rica this summer. Um, you know, I have heard testimonies about, we've had missionaries come and say, you're at the YMCA. Can we come and help you at the YMCA? Is there something that we can do for you? Um, if we can do that to build relationships, we have a missionary couple coming to our church picnic this spring because we just want them to get to know us. We want them to get, we want to get to know each other. And, um, but yeah, I think that's a good point. Having whatever we have, you know, that we share and that we give according to what the needs are. Is there any other questions?
Thanks, Kelly. Let's give her a hand. <laughs> Pastor Dave, would you come and share? I'm going to share uh, basically about relationships with missionaries and uh, work from there. One of the things that we do to help build relationships is every Wednesday night I have a prayer team of three to five people. It's consistently the same people. Um, They meet during our Wednesday night service in a corner of our sanctuary, and they know every missionary that we support by name. They, They keep a list of all their prayer needs. And so I'd encourage you to get a, get a prayer team that prays specifically for missionaries. I mean, they have, uh, we, have, we support more than 50 missionaries, and they've got every one of them memorized. And they go down through that list and pray for them. They get all of the emails that I get from missionaries. They get those emails, and they keep me updated as to what's going on in the missionaries' lives. And so that's a great way to stay in touch because they then communicate with the missionaries through email. I don't know if the missionaries appreciate getting their emails, but uh, they they sure appreciate the missionaries communicating to them their prayer needs and things like that. Uh, annually, our church adopts a missionary family and provides Christmas gifts for them, and that builds a relationship because they're they're talking to the missionaries, finding out uh, what their kids need, the the different things that will bless them. You do need to be careful about sending things overseas. You have to make sure that you do that right so that. You don't send something to a missionary, and then they get charged $10,000 tax on it to get it out of their mailbox. So be careful with that. But you'll learn those things as you do that. Uh, Skype with your missionaries. Uh, From time to time, we'll have uh, a missionary, and we'll put them up on the big screens, and you you can talk to them. That's a great way of keeping your congregation current with people that uh, that you're in the same missions team with. Our kids' church supports a missionary family, usually with children, and they'll, they'll take them on for $25 a month. It's amazing how much money kids have. And so, you know, they get it out of your pocket or some adult. And so every, every Sunday when they walk in, they see right by the door the missionary that they are supporting, and they develop a relationship with them, usually with their kids, and pretty soon they're communicating back and forth with the, with the missionary's kids. Uh, Kelly mentioned it, whenever we have a missionary on Sunday morning, send them up to kids' church first before they come down or vice versa so that the missionary and the kids are developing a relationship face-to-face. Uh, after each of our annual missions trips, uh, we try to expose the congregation to what the people who went on the trip experienced. We have a saying at the church, you'll never know till you go. Well, we want people who have gone to tell what they've experienced so that those that haven't gone, they get a little bit of that picture. We tell everybody at church, there's three things that every one of us are going to do as a part of missions. We're going to pray, we're going to give, and we're going to go. And I challenge every person in our congregation, you can go at least one week of your life to experience what, what missionaries are going through. Um, we have a missions house available to missionaries for use during their itineration. Um, they, they come, they're given the house free of charge for a year. Usually those missionaries, they, if they have kids, they get involved in the ministry of our church. And they usually go away, the kids are going, do we have to go back? We'd love the youth group or something like that. But it builds that relationship, and then if it's gone well while the missionaries are in the house, 
uh, that in four years they can reapply and, and get to use it again. Um, we did not start the missions house when we were a large church. We started when we were the size of Pastor Kelly's, and what we did was we made contact with a missionary. They wanted to come to Columbus, so we worked it out. We rented an apartment for them, and after the first initial rent, they paid the rent for the, for the next 11 months. But I think we got it started. We paid the rent. We had a car there that uh, was on loan for a year from one of our church families. The uh, apartment, we filled it with all the bed linens. We filled it with food. So all they did, they got off the airplane with their suitcases, and they basically walked in and had a place to live. That was our very first missions house. And it's, a, it's interesting that that very first missionary was Greg and Sandy Mundus, our now national missions directors. And so we planted a seed like that years and years ago. Now we own a home that we give free of charge. There's no charge at all for that. And so you can start with a small church and, and do a missions home, make contact with a missionary, and uh, work that thing out. Uh, we have a guest room in our home that uh, missionaries, they drive through the city of Columbus, and they call, and it's, it's not uncommon for us to have a missionary living in our front, front bedroom, which is off by itself. It has a private bath. And we have Wi-Fi in the house, and they come in, and there's, a, there's some comfy chairs in that bedroom. And they come in, and they've got everything they need. And we've had, I can't tell you how many times, how many nights that room has been full. It, it develops a relationship. Uh, dessert with a missionary. Uh, three weeks ago, Don and Jackie Cartledge, one of the missionaries that we support, uh, I said, when are you guys going to be coming through Columbus again? And they gave me a date, and I said, how about Friday night? You be at my house. We'll have dessert with the missionary. Sunday morning, I get up, and I say, missionaries Don and Jackie Cartledge are going to be at my house Friday night from 6 until 8.30. If you're interested in spending a few, a few hours with one of our missionaries, we had 15 people that came on a Friday night, and they got to rub shoulders with one of our missionaries that we support. One of the things that we do as a church, a minimum of 10% of our annual budget of our church goes to missions. We've never hit 10%. It's always been between 28 and 11%. But it's, that's, that makes an impact on, on missionaries. Uh, from time to time, we do missions reports. These can be monthly. They can be quarterly. They can be at least annually. You should do some form of missions report in addition to the conventions, in addition to the uh, monthly things that you do. Uh, monthly, the Somebody's God World Mission sends out a video with a different field highlighted. And the, the kids' one is Go360, and there's different ones on those missions videos. And if you don't have somebody that has the ability to put together a missions report, that's real easy. You just pop it in. It's about two and a half minutes, and it, every month you can highlight a different field, and it keeps the people in your congregation uh, interrelated with, with the need of missions. Uh, annually, we do what we call uh, a go-ye into all the world mission service. We call it go-ye. We put out 160 buckets around our sanctuary with a flag for each of those nations. Some of the, na- some of the buckets represent five nations because some, small, some of the smaller nations are smaller than the state of Ohio, so we lump them together. There's about 260 nations in the world, but we do 160 and our kids, everybody that morning is involved, and we say, bring 160 pieces of money, and you'll be able to go into all the world, fulfill that missions commitment, 
of going into the, all the world. And then all the money that's in each of those buckets, we send to that nation or nation group. And usually it comes out about $140 a bucket. And it's amazing how many missionaries will say, who are you? Uh, we don't know you. And all of a sudden we got $140 in our account from your church. Yeah, we, we were just going into all the world and you happened to be in that, that part of the world. So we came and went into your part of the world. Um, currently we have about 2,700 mission units uh, in more than 200 countries of the world 20% of the Assemblies of God churches do not give one dime to missions Um, being the general presbyter for this network um, I I am pushing and I, I tease when I do this but I'm pushing that every pastor that does not give the missions. Because if a pastor gave the missions, that means his church is going to give the missions. So that means 20% of the Assemblies of God churches in the United States, their pastor doesn't give $5 to missions. I'm pushing that those pastors are disciplined and removed from the Assemblies of God. It's real quiet in this room. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes if your love for the Lord... Or your love for your wife won't keep you. Let, let the fear of what your wife's going to do to you when you. <laughs> you know, and if our love for the Lord and our love for missions and our love for the lost won't get the job done, maybe some of us old presbyters turning the heat up on them and saying, why are you an Assemblies of God preacher if you won't give five bucks a year personally I'm sorry, this just gets my blood pressure up. and so. <laughs> um, any questions? I just wanted to give you a shot of what we do at the church. Being how hands-on, you're a large church, how hands-on are you with the missions program? Uh, how hands-on am I with the missions program at Radiant Life Church? I am the missions program. Okay. Uh, I, I answer the phone for every missionary. I schedule the missionaries. Um, I'm the one that gives the the money for missionaries because when a missionary asks me for money, I'm I'm such a soft touch. It was really hard to say no, and so you know I give. If you have a committee and you got to work through that, and uh, so I don't know if missionaries like that or not, but you know, and currently we support our missionaries with $155 a month, and you know it's like Kelly. We started at $25 a month when we first started the church. Every year, all of our missionaries got a $5 raise, and we've just been increasing and increasing and increasing. And I am a church planter, too. I just didn't move. I planted the church 34 years ago and haven't moved anywhere. Stayed right there. Have you um, ever, ever um, accepted resources as a gift as opposed to money? Have we ever accepted resources as a gift opposed to money? I, I hate that because when a lady walks up and gives me a diamond ring and she says, you know, th- this ring is worth $3,500 or something, and I take it and I try to, you know, get money for it, it comes out 350 bucks, and we throw it in a drawer and say it. And so we prefer that people just give money so that we can give that again. I meant something that could be used in the country. Okay. My wife was the uh, ladies' director here in the state of Ohio for seven years, and uh, we took two, two 40-foot trailers to the Congo. And so we, we took everything under the sun to Gary and Janice Dickinson. We took them hoses. We took them a brand-new uh, commercial grill. We took them a skid of, 
uh, uh, material. We took them 102 treadle sewing machines that people from all over the state of Ohio had donated. We had those refurbished by Larry Fletcher's dad, and we took okay. we took all kinds yeah, of stuff like that. But I would not recommend that unless you know what you're doing because when you get to a country that's going to get stuck in customs, you're going to either lose it or it's going to cost you a fortune. And so money is a whole lot cheaper. So, okay. Any, any other questions? Any other questions about our relationship personally with missionaries? The money actually is more helpful for missionaries because it causes us to partner with the local um, people and get the supplies we need from their country. We're supporting them. It will be items that work in their country, work with their electricity, all of those kinds of things. So just so you know, I mean, I I don't want to down the resources, but the the money can be used in greater ways and more efficiently. Um, that way, spread more. Yeah. Missionaries used to get missionary barrels with all of our old clothes that we wouldn't wear anymore. And if we're going to give to the kingdom of heaven, if we're going to give to the Lord, let's make it the best we've got. So, okay. Pastor John? Yeah, let's give Pastor Dave a hand. (laughs) I think we worked with, uh, Karen and I worked with something like 150 teams when we were uh, full-time missionaries. And a lot of times we would uh, kind of answer your question, Fritz. Uh, a lot of times we'd have the teams bring us stuff. For the, I, I remember we've had uh, communion sets brought over. Couldn't buy them in the country, so the teams would bring communion sets okay. over. And uh, we were outfitting a Bible school, and we had uh, somebody who had uh, ability to get about a dozen uh, desktop computers because they were being changed out in their company, so they brought those over. So we, we would always look for ways that we could uh, get some things over to us, but we had, like Dave says, you got to be careful how you send them over so that they don't get hung up in, in custom. But if they generally if they came with the team, uh, they'd be in a trunk or something, they'd go right on through without any problem. So it's, it is a uh, possibility, but I don't think it's used as much as it used to be. Just like he said, we used to, I remember those green barrel in, a, in our lobby there at Canton. We'd fill it up with stuff and ship it to the missionary. They've gotten away from that type of thing because of uh, different problems with that. Well, I want to hear from a missionary friend. So I'm going to ask my friend Mike Hattinger to come up and share. And he's going to kind of give us a look-see from the other side of the fence, from a missionary's side. And uh, just take all the time you want. Mike, we've got plenty of time. Thank you, John. And I just want to add what an incredible job John and Kelly and Dave did in summing up. The things that they said uh, were very good uh, tidbits of wisdom that are very practical and they work. And uh, Dave, uh, you listed some things, and I went right down the list. These are things that I, had, that I was going to talk about today. So the, they're proven, and they really do work. Uh, what I'd like to do, uh, first of all, is Uh, tell you what you can expect, what would be a normal expectation from a general appointed missionary from this side of the table. Uh, Many of our pastors don't realize that missionaries receive funds every month that are designated to be used for newsletters 
and they receive additional funds every month that are to be used for updated computer equipment. So there was never any excuse from a missionary to say, well, I don't have the funds to be able to communicate because it is built in their budget that they are going to receive funds. Now, uh, there are times when that missionary, towards the end of his term, uh, if he goes uh, in the red, some of those funds are going to be withheld. But for the most part, Wiley is home on furlough, and for most of his term, uh, they are going to receive, uh, and, and I don't mind saying they, on the average, most of us receive uh, $150 a month for newsletters and $80 a month for updated computer equipment. So we, ha we receive funds. There's, there's never an excuse to say, well, I don't have money to be able to communicate. Um, now, if we spend those monies for other things, uh, there might not be money at the end of the month. But for the, for the most part, uh, missionaries receive adequate funds from your support in order to communicate. Yeah. Yes, yes. That is monies that we raise that come. It's part of. It's built into our budget. That's exactly right. They don't get anything from Springfield. That is exactly. Anything they spend, they have to raise. I know about Springfield spinning off the top. That's another. No, no, that's another section. We're going to scratch that from the record because I had nothing to do with that last comment. All right. <laughs> when you when you get it, when all of the monies that we raise, they are divvied up, and at every missionary receives every general appointed missionary. Now, uh, I'm not quite sure what the current status is of some of our MAs or some of our shorter term, but the general appointed missionaries, okay, they do receive newsletter funds and and computer funds. Now, let's take it a step farther. Uh, missionaries also are expected to to be creative in the ways that they communicate. And uh, for some of us that are 50 and over, creativity seems to be sort of a, a disability right now rather than an ability. Uh, but we are expected to learn to be creative in the way that we communicate. Let me give you an example. For instance, uh, the default position for communication with a, from a missionary to a church is always either a written newsletter and then followed up by an email, or we call an e-sign, or some sort of electronic letter that is sent to you, okay? Now, I'm, I'm speaking from, from our point of view. My wife is both an artist and a writer, and so the e-signs that we send out are absolutely top-notch. And uh, we have about 600 uh, churches and individuals that we send that to every 30 days, and it costs us approximately uh, $45 or $50 to do that. And so the letters that we send out are top-notch. My wife dedicates um, to a, an, an e-sign letter. She dedicates usually 10 to 15 hours a month just towards that letter to make sure that all of the links work, to make sure that the pictures are updated so that I don't look like I'm 35 and 80 pounds lighter than I really am, okay? <laughs> um, and so she, she checks everything. It takes her about, uh, on the average, about 10 to 15 hours to do that just for that e-sign. When we do a written newsletter, it takes about 20 to 25 hours 
simply because not only do you have to deal with a company that'll do that for you. So there is considerable time. Now, we also pay for a service. We pay for a service that tracks all of those letters that we send so that we're not deciding on ourselves. oh, look, Bob opened it, you know. So out of those 600, we pay for a service that tells us if we're doing a good job or not. Now, on the average, um, the, on those e-zine letters, the, the market standard for you to be considered successful, whether you're doing it as a missionary or whether you're doing it as a church or whether you're doing it, you're selling insurance, whatever it is, the market standard is that if you get 25% of your letters are actually opened, it might be for three seconds and then deleted, but they're opened. If you get 25% of your e letters opened, that's considered successful. Okay? okay? Now, in our case, we average around, we're usually around 25 to 26%. So our, our, about a quarter of our letters are actually opened. A third of all of our e which is now over 600, a third of them bounce and come back non-deliverable. So that's 200 out of our 600 are non-deliverable. And then the other 40% don't bounce and are never opened. So from a practical point of view, 75% of all of our e-zines, which require considerable work and effort, uh, never get or are never even looked at. And yet the market considers that to be successful. So what my wife struggles with is she says, oh, and then there's one more. And then out of those 600, we average, we average by month three people who open it and actually go to our prayer link. So three out of the 600 are actually someone who looks at it and says, now how can I pray for a missionary? So I don't know what the other missionaries average. We've really never talked about that. But uh, is that an effective way of communicating? Well, for the 25%, it is. So you can't stop because then you're going to be at 0%, right? So you've got to continue using that as one arm of communication. And then we have what we call the old snail mail, the old letter in the box, and believe it or not, those still are effective to another percentage. And we meet people continually who are on our mailing list that have been getting our, our written mailed newsletters for almost 20 years now. And most of those are personal supporters who don't give through a church. They give directly from themselves. They send their gifts to... And these are usually middle to older people who want a newsletter and not because they're demanding it, but because they give and they pray for us and they like to see a newsletter a couple of times a year. So we have 25% that are opening the letters. We probably have another, I would say another, um, everyone gets a newsletter, but most likely about 10% of those are people who actually get the newsletter and read it. All right. Yes. So, from a missionary's perspective, are you recommending that you do both, a paper and a um, that, That's a good question, and that's exactly where I'm going. 
that communication, basically a pie has, has many slices. And for you as a missionary to be effective, you're going to have to include as many slices in the communication pie as possible because you just have to reach. Some people like it through the e-zine. Some like it through the hard copy. Some, you know, yes? So when I get, when I get my, I don't know if it's a blog or if it's what you're talking about from Ilona, mm-hmm. is that what you're talking about or is there something else that I <coughs> It actually, that's a good question. She actually has another blog right. that she does just for does women. She, she, well, she does, but th- oftentimes those are women who don't even talk about missions. They're just talking right. about friend issues or lady issues and, and missions. And that's the, that's the next place I'm going. Yeah. Right. And that, that's another slice of the pie because, because missionaries, we're more than just missionaries. We're people and we have interests and we make friends throughout Ohio as we go. And so what's wrong as a form of creativity, we need to be able to communicate with people that we meet outside of the, of the mission's interest on a friendly basis, people that we meet in teams and as we go. So what I'm saying is missionaries are expected to be creative. They receive, for the most part, ag- adequate funds to do that if you're a general appointed missionary. And so there is a certain um, expectation, which I think is realistic when it comes to what can missionaries do? And then, of course, missionaries are expected to schedule services. They're expected to go to sectional meetings. They're expected to go to uh, meetings like this. So um, on this past furlough, which we just concluded, tomorrow's our last service, uh, we would have been in 142 churches and um, with a combined total of 200 meetings. And that's just expected. There's just, it's just part of the work. And so to be an effective communicator, missionaries, they just have to carve the pie in many different slices and don't get too upset when, when one slice only seems to bring 10% because the next slice might bring 10, 25 and the next slice. You just have to do it all, but it requires creativity. Is there any questions up to this point or comments? So I'm not sure if some of the... Uh, Jeremy, you guys aren't you guys at that plate with the newsletter and the computer funds yet? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We're we're full time until appointment, and so that that is in our budget. Um, somewhat since this is our first term, mm-hmm. we, we don't have any access to that, the computer funds or, or whatever. That we're somewhat limited in that as of right now. Right. Um, but we still have numerous ways that we're communicating with people. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. that expect different forms of communication <coughs> with them and have different standards depending on what their missions committee or whatever right. sets up. Um, and it should keep in mind, too, that it, his, from his words, his wife, 10, 10 to 12 hours a month on the one, maybe 20 hours on the written, um, that's taken up a lot of time. And if each church has a different form of way that they want us to correspond and communicate and keep up to date with them, that's more time for my, 
especially when you're, at least I haven't been on right. field, but I imagine being on field and still having all those expectations, that's eating up a lot of our time, and that needs to be invested in. Yes. Now, and that brings us back. Now, every month when we get that 33%, and I mean, you're talking hundreds of bounces. My wife will go back, and this is in addition. These are extra hours. She goes back, and then she has to find where those bounces are and find new emails. So she's not always, to, she's not always able to do the, all 200 of those. But regularly, my wife will go back and update 50 or 60 emails a month just for the following months to have another 33% bounce from other churches, which tells us that churches are constantly, or at least the contact people, are constantly, either the people are changing or their, their, their emails are changing. So we dedicate, my wife, not, I say we, what a liar. My wife <laughs> dedicates hundreds and hundreds of hours a year just to maintain email addresses that are constantly bouncing. And, uh, it's, you know, I, I wish we had an answer. And she actually sometimes feels guilty about this. And I say, baby, you know, you cannot control what other people do or do not do. So if you're in that position, if your church, if there's a pastoral change, if there's a missions director change, if there's communication change, please be sure and pass on those changed emails to the missionaries. It acts as bird, and this is for the pastors here, for that gift. Right now I'm the, I'm the missions director, and I don't know how long that's going to last, but the Lord mm-hmm. wants to send me somewhere, but I'm not there yet. Anyway, we have an account, we have an email account that's missions at Ashland First AG. And so the church will set up a missions account, and then it's forwarded to my personal. So when I leave, it just goes to the next person. So the email never changes, just the people behind oh, it might change. Yeah. That's, a, that's a very practical solution. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that can be noted. So, but we are talking literally hundreds of hours. Uh-huh. I think, too, my husband and I, uh, we're that way, too. We kind of have work for you. Uh-huh. We file for our missions and um, nonprofits. And one of the things we've been struggling with is what's the best way to get this in churches now? Because some people want, you know, you said the paper. Some people are like, oh, an email's fine. And I don't really know what the expectations are from every different church. So I think that's part of it, too, is, like, letting the missionary know, hey, we prefer paper or we would prefer an email Right. Right. And Charity and and Jeremy have said it very well. And and again, I reiterate, you just have to divide up. You have to vary your communication uh, methods. Probably it's going to take four to six different methods in order to get as many slices of the pie. And then ultimately, there are just some churches, they're not going to communicate and you could lay down on their front door and they may just step over you. They send you a check and you know what? That's great. If that's all, if that's all the church wants, that's fine. But there are some churches and they, 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 they really, they desire that.
That, that is a good question about, because many, when there is a change, off, we get lots of these, and you guys probably do, we get dozens of these a year that says, I'm, I'm Bob, I'm the new missions director at, uh, at Tri-State Assembly of God, and I, we'd like to know more about your ministry. Well, um, are we going to write a whole new blog just for them? No. What we normally do is we, send, we, we connect them to our, our latest blog, which always has an archive of all of our stuff with pictures and bio and all that stuff, and they get it instantly. Let me, let, me, let me go on just real quick. How much time do we have? Are we almost there? We have five minutes? Yeah. Is that fine? Okay. Um, a- another suggestion is churches, uh, we love the online conferencing, whether it's Skype or Zoom. We use Zoom on the field because our country is so big. Uh, uh, online conferencing, you, you're going to need a decent computer in your church, Okay. You can't use a desktop computer that's, that's five years old, that's got a hundred different programs running, and then try to Skype with somebody in Thailand in, in, in live, all right? You, just can't, those, you need to have one dedicated computer to that sort of communication and then use your other stuff, your, your whatever it is. But, uh, and that leads into that as a, as a church, if you do have a missions director, consider the fact of giving them a laptop that is, that is dedicated to only missions so that they're not using their home computer to do missions ministry because you would believe some of the stuff that ends up coming to us because people are mixing missions with their own personal stuff. <laughs> All right? And so when you change missions directors, just ask for that computer back and make sure it's updated and it's in good and give it to the next missions director and have one dedicated machine that goes towards your missions ministry instead of having it all mixed up into everyone's home PC. All right? It, believe me, in the long run, it'll pay for itself. Okay? I, I forgot to mention uh-huh. that I have missionaries, like 97 out of 100 phone calls they make are never returned by pastor. And It's a, it's a good I point. Okay. All of my calls I made this week, I haven't received one answer. One answer, phone yeah. call, one feedback, one nothing. So it carries through. Oh. Right. You know, as a business sense, as from a business sense, yeah. let's say you already support me. Let's say you already support me. You're paying me to call you to tell you I'm home and you don't return my call. <laughs> what sense does that make? So we really need to, and again, um, 
Let me give you a couple of quick things and I'm, I'm done. Uh, what Dave said about having a, a dedicated team of prayer on Wednesday, 142 services. Uh, that included about 50 Sunday schools. I made it a point in as often as possible to ask in Sunday schools and in many services who can stand for a prize now, all right? For a prize. Who can stand up, name five missionaries, what country they're at, and what are they doing? And out of 142, I could not find one church that could do it. You guys could. Yeah. We did have a couple of churches where there were three people. They could name three missionaries where they were at. But that was, that, those were few and far between. Which tells me that, which tells me that there's very little prayer, specific prayer going on. And if there is specific prayer, those people are not attending Sunday school. <laughs> so that might hold me on another, another question. But thank you so much for your input. Uh, I know we got tons of questions, but we're going to close. And I, I just, I just want to thank all of you guys for your, uh, for your interest today. Thank you, John. Mm-hmm. Give him a hand. Yeah. Getting a lot of good insight here. Uh, when we candidated for First Assembly in Willard, I warned the uh, pulpit committee. I said, uh, everything I do, everything I speak from the pulpit is going to be focused through the lens of a missionary. They were taking 10% of their budget and, and uh, for their supporting missionaries. And the first fall that we had, a, and they never had a mission convention. So we had a mission convention that fall. We started the uh, Faith Promises and uh, small church, average attendance 50, 60. If everybody came, was 80. Easter would be 140, that kind of thing. But uh, we ended up supporting uh, 20 missionaries, and I think our Faith Promises when we left was over $400 a month. So it, it really makes a difference when you, when you make an emphasis there. Uh, to look at that. Uh, I wanted to share a couple of quick things. Uh, what we did was when we made the bulletin, and I oversaw the, the making of the bulletin, I was very fussy about that. I wanted a very nice-looking product uh, for visitors. And we always listed the prayer requests, and in that one bottom right corner, I always put a missionary there. Each week, we just went down through the list. Each week, it was another missionary, and so they would always have a missionary that they could pray for that week. The next week, they'd get a different one, a new one. And so we did that. We uh, also took the uh, newsletters, whether we got them uh, snail mail or email, and put them in a scrapbook, and we put them in the back of the sanctuary so that uh, the congregation could stop and leaf through that. And the other thing, I made sure I read every uh, newsletter because I was always searching for an illustration some of the best illustrations that I got came out of missionaries' newsletters. And I'd make sure the congregation knew whose uh, story I was telling, missionary so-and-so. Uh, and some of them were just absolutely incredible. And that's a good source for pastors to get fodder for their, for their uh, sermons. And uh, I'd, I made up my mind I'd take calls from missionaries, even if we couldn't have them for a service, and something that uh, pastors, a few did for me when I was calling, booking services, same thing. Maybe they couldn't have me, but they'd say, let me pray for you. I'll tell you what, that was such a deal for me to know that that pastor wanted to, even though he couldn't support me or have me, 
he wanted to pray for me. So I picked up on that, and that's what I, that's the, what I would do uh, if I received a call uh, from a missionary. And then cultivate relationships with missionaries. Be pastoral with them. I've uh, Over time, I can think of maybe three different missionaries. I was kind of like their pastor. Uh, during the time they were home itinerating because they felt comfortable with letting their hair down with some of the things that were going on in their personal lives. And I'd stay in touch with them. I'd have meals with them and just uh, be connected to them. And so we, we can do that as pastors. We can have that relationship. Another thing, if it's at all possible, visit that missionary on the field. I remember uh, one in particular Jeff Deem from Canton Calvary came with his brother and a team to Warsaw to help us at the Bible school. Never been on a mission trip ever and spent a week with us. He said, uh, John, that changed my life. I have never been the same about missions after taking that trip and, and being with you guys and seeing what that's all about. So that can change a pastor's focus and his passion about missions if, if they'll just somehow be able to get on the field and be with a missionary and see what they do. Looking at it from uh, a missionary side related to the church, from my perspective, uh, and for you missionaries that maybe don't know this, uh, I'll share this with you guys. I learned that when I looked at my re giving report each month, if there was a pastoral change, I'd immediately fire off a letter and let them know that, hey, uh, welcome there, and we want to continue to be partners with you. Because some of my colleagues said, you know, when they change pastors, we lose the support. So I, I learned that as soon as I read my report and saw there was a pastoral change, I jumped right on it so that I could get that connection, that communication uh, going again and not lose that support. Uh, send personal email to missionaries. Address something perhaps that you saw in a recent newsletter. Roger Larison was good at that. Uh, we'd like two weeks after we'd send out our newsletters, we'd be getting a letter back from Roger commenting on something we might have said. As far as missionaries, too, that whole month, and Mike, you, you're probably aware of this, too, I always looked for stuff I could throw in the newsletter, and I'd, I'd shove it aside and save it until it came time to produce the newsletter. And then I'd, maybe it was something that we actually experienced, something one of our colleagues had experienced or, or whatever. I saved it so I'd have some, something to, that was really interesting uh, to put in my newsletter. Uh, pastor shared the needs of the church with the missionary. You know, uh, if the church has gone through a struggle and there's this communication uh, line going, the missionary can pray for that church too. He can be on uh, on a basis of communication where he can pray if the church is going through financial trouble or some other kind of trouble. Uh, if they if they're made aware of it, because we're interested in ha what's happening with them that we can rejoice with them if they're doing really well or if we can pray with them if they're in need. Another thing I've noticed lately is that Facebook is a big deal. Uh, we're following, uh, we're semi-retired, but I'm following three missionaries right now on Facebook. We communicate with them. One is in the Czech Republic. Uh, there's a couple others that we're working with, and uh, that's a good place. And if you just click on like, they know that you've, you've looked at what is on Facebook. And it only takes, I can sit down I, in the commercials between TV. I'm going through my Facebook and, and getting that done. So I wonder if there's any other questions. We need to wrap this up. 
Okay? Well, let's pray. Let's finish up with praying. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've spent together and all the insight that has been, been given. And Lord, we just pray that as a result of this, that uh, there will be a better communication line between pastor and missionary and between missionary and pastor. Lord, we know that uh, the need is great. We still need to meet the need at the ends of the earth. And Lord, so we need to do all we can in any way we can to uh, accomplish the work that you've called us to do. Bless us now, Lord, as we go. And we thank you for all of this in Christ's name. Amen.